HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. It's Thanksgiving, so we're talking turkey with sweet potato casserole, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and pecan pie. But we're also discovering some surprising truths about this holiday. As it turns out, roasted turkeys are actually nowhere near the original Thanksgiving tables. In fact, most of the foods we eat for Thanksgiving today weren't eaten in Plymouth. And you know, a lot of the dishes came about, well, because of the products that were on the shelves and the marketing that told us this is the product we should use. Every once in a while, though, the consumer creates the food trend. Care to top the turducken, anyone? Uh, I've got to give credit to this fellow that said this is the best pile of meat I've ever had and then said, but if you added bacon. Tune in to this week's Meat and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's show, we have Sherry Bayer, who's celebrating 15 years of Bayer Public Relations, who talks about her journey from Miami to Michigan to Chicago to New York, and also the joys and the judgment of solo dining. Later on in studio, we have Power Snap, who comes to us via Tel Aviv, who lands in New York and celebrating their EP release on King Pizza, and tells us all the advice to give to your 12-year-old self who dreams of releasing a record here in America. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. That was just Power Snap, whose new EP is out on King Pizza Records. They will be live in studio later today. But up first, Sherry Bayer, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Congratulations. 15 years. 15 years of Bayer Public Relations. Amazing. Amazing. I know. I, it's hard to believe. I feel like you're going to just like run me through this interview. I'm going to be like, wow, we, we covered everything. You're like, yes, we did. No, you're, you're, it's your show, and I'm honored to be on today, so thank you. Um, so let's go back. Uh, growing, where did you grow up? Miami. Miami. Uh, was food a big part of your life growing up? What was your family makeup, and, and if so, who cooked? My mom did the cooking. Uh, we always had family meal together. We had dinner together every night. But it was, she was a good cook, but simplistic, and we had... Pretty much, there was like a rotation of maybe five of the top dishes between veal parmesan and some sort of chicken and maybe tuna noodle casserole was oh. one that went in the mix. Um, I, don't, I don't know if my childhood led me exactly to where I am today, but um, my mom is a, is a really good cook and it was, it was important for us to be together as a family. Never missed seven nights a week always family not not seven nights but definitely school nights um sometimes you know we'd we i mean we'd we'd do take out chinese food or you know we'd go out to dinner as well but definitely not like gourmet sort of dining that i i do today and, and what was the dining scene in miami like uh in your childhood and teenage years well you can be fair i mean I, I feel it, there was, it wasn't, I still feel today, well, now Miami dining scene, I think, is much stronger, but I don't know. Um, I think it was it was your, as I said, like, we would have uh, our Chinese restaurant we would go to, or we would have Tony Roma's ribs, or, you know, more, I hate to say, like, chain-type restaurants, uh, and Italian restaurants, and... Definitely, we had Cazzoli's um, Pizza, I remember, as, like, the go-to pizza place. Carvel Ice Cream. I mean, I'm thinking of, like, memories. But as far as, like, dining out uh, anything f- super fancy, I don't... I, we didn't do it that often. You you got your bachelor's, bachelor's degree at the University of, of Michigan. What, what brought you up there? And, and when did you start to have an inkling that food might be a path you wanted to go down? So I applied to schools across the country when I was I was looking to go to college, and it wasn't that unusual for people in my high school to to go far away. And I got into University of Michigan, and I it had everything I was looking for. It had the academics, but it also had a social life and sports, and it it, it was gonna it was a campus school. So I I chose to go there and people actually thought it was crazy up there because they're like, you're from Miami. What are you doing in Michigan? But I also liked that the only jacket I had before college was a jean jacket (laughs) (laughs) and I got a whole new wardrobe. Um, So I think Michigan might've started my it introduced me to new foods, certainly. I remember sushi was... The first time I had sushi was in college. I mean, this is the early 90s. Not as common as it is today. But there was there were things like... I always think of a Korean place, bibimbap. The first time I had it was in Ann Arbor. 
the food scene was strong there for a small town, Zingerman's, everyone knows. So For those who don't, what is it? Zingerman's is, it's a deli. <laughs> I mean, to say it's just a deli is, is to understand. <laughs> it's an understatement. It's one of the delis. It's, and it's, it's amazing. And it's beyond just sandwiches. They, they have, I mean, it's just an incredible, uh, I mean, it is a, a restaurant type deli, but it's, um, the sandwiches are ginormous and I think I make up that word. That's fine. Okay. I'm sure it's like been used in a number of press releases, not just your own. <laughs> ginormous. It's sandwiches. my word. Yeah. My word, ginormous. Uh, but delicious, and it's they're they're known. They've they've I think won a James Beard Award now, or the Who's Who. They're mm. recognized nationally. Yeah, I mean, and it's also you know Jew- Jewish delis are a dying breed, so you gotta prop up the ones that still exist. Yes. So you know, most people are exposed to new things in college, but what was it about food? Because you went from there and you got um, you got a cer- certificate of cooking at the Cooking Academy in Chicago. So what was it that went from like, oh, sushi, I've never had this before. This is amazing to, oh, the life of food might be a, a career. And again, early 90s, mid 90s, food was not nowhere close to where it is today. So how did you begin or what drew you into that world? And why do you think that would be a viable career option? So going, backing up a little bit, as soon as I could drive when I was 16, I got a job at a Mexican restaurant in Miami as a hostess. Called? Called Carlos and Pepe's. Nice. What was <laughs> By the, da- near oh, Dayland Mall. What was the house specialty? Chimichanga. <laughs> <laughs> when do you, you don't see chimichanga you that much see, on menus. You never. But at Delicious. that time. At that yes. time. Yes. So, um... I always had jobs waiting tables or hostessing. I worked at Bennigan's. I worked at Chili's. In college, I was a cocktail waitress at a bar just because I just, I like to be busy in something. I was drawn to restaurants and for some reason it just always, I wanted to be in restaurants and I found them fascinating. So after college, I moved to Chicago for really no good reason besides that it was a big city and why not? And I found myself working in restaurants. I, one of my first jobs was I was an office manager at a microbrewery called Rock Bottom Brewery. The location in downtown in, in Michigan is, I mean, in Chicago is still there. And that opened my eyes to, they made all of their food from scratch at this big microbrewery. And also microbrewery at the time was super cool. I mean, it's still cool, but it was... Cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. very, very much. So... From there, I that job actually is the one that kind of led me into going to cooking school and thinking I wanted to be a chef. And so I did a six-month culinary program. I thought I was going to go to Europe afterwards and cook. And I ended up getting a job at Charlie Trotter's because I had his cookbook, and I saw he was hiring front-of-the-house staff, and I had more experience front than back. And I went in, and I got hired as a server. So what did you take away from culinary school and then from your early days at Charlie Trotter's that um, still stays with you today? I mean, everything... I, I, I think... learning about food and the hands-on experience and with working with, with Charlie Trotter, that was like grad school, I felt. There were, there were new foods I was introduced to some reason, I always think of salsa like this, like vegetables, like things I just didn't know of, and um, and he was, 
he was such a perfectionist and, and very intense, but it was like, it was just, I was just, my eyes opened into this whole new world of, of the culinary arts. And it was a really hard job, that one. And I feel I take away just the fact that people are coming in for, for this amazing meal every night, high expectations, and you have to be the one to deliver it. So I think it just raised my own bar of delivering and, and expectations. And what year was what year was this? Ninety seven to ninety eight. So when did you start to head towards food PR? So after Trotters, I I worked as a garmanger chef for a little bit, tested so out the so waters. You, so you did get into the kitchen. I did get in the kitchen. Seven dollars an hour. Where? It was at a jazz club called the Blue Dolphin. Uh, I was only I wasn't there more than six months. And then from there, I decided to move to New York and I started at NYU's food studies program, which was new. It was the second year of it. And Mitchell Davis taught my food writing class. And I got a foot in the door meeting people in the industry. I dabbled in things like food writing or food styling and recipe testing. And then I ended up at a PR company, KB Network News, that is where I had the aha moment of seeing, well, I could take all this love and passion for the restaurant industry. I don't have to be the one cooking or waiting tables, but I can help other businesses. And what was it that you, and what year is this that you were there? That was 2000. So what did you see that you could do to help restaurants? You know, what was the advice that you gave? And, and things have changed in 18 years and we will get to that. But at that time, what did restaurants need in order to survive from, from the PR front? Obviously to be good and, excellent food and all that but like from the PR side what did you bring to the table and advice you give that could help chefs chefs kind of get over that that hump well actually I don't know I mean it has changed but it has it hasn't at the same time I think it's the initial I mean PR is the middleman between the client or the chef or the restaurant and the media and getting the word out so it's making sure that the message is clear, the branding is clear of what the vision is, and then being the person that can relay that to people who have the power to write about it or review a restaurant. So I, I think it's understanding the restaurants and what they stand for and then being the communicator of that. How easy is it to, or is it not easy or impossible to, obviously start at the beginning, you can work with them, but when chefs bring on PR, when they're starting to kind of circle the drain, what are some of the steps that you give them to kind of be a better middleman or, or revamp their story? Or do you think that like if something's on fire, it's just impossible to put it out? Well, I think you have to just be authentic. And I only want to work with brands and things I believe in because I can't sell something I don't believe in. But I think you have to stand for what your product is or what your concept is and stay true to that. And I always think restaurants need... They need great food, they need great service and great ambiance, and it's like a package. And it's a tough, it's a tough business. It's, I think there's a, it's it's hard to, it's hard to even launch, get your, get open, because there's so many licenses and so many things you have to do. So I think sometimes people forget about PR until the very last minute, Maybe not so much, but maybe back then it was it was a little of an afterthought of, oh, wait, we're about to open. I should I should do something about that. Get the word out. 
So I always tell people to do PR in advance. It doesn't have to be so far, but like four to six weeks ahead of a restaurant opening to get organized with press materials and then be able to get the word out. What was the methodology of getting the word out in 2000? I know email was like nascent at the time or, or not as widespread, but, you know, I'm opening yeah. Greg's Burger Hut. Very excited about this. We're four to six weeks out. I come to you. What are we doing and how are you getting people in there? Yeah, well, we did have email, which I'm grateful for because I couldn't have been a PR person that has to pick up the phone constantly. I mean that and pitch over the phone. It would have been really hard. You have your like 10 seconds. Uh, So we did have email. The one thing that that was very time consuming that we did was we created physical press kits and I remember going to the stationery store and looking for paper that matched the colors of the restaurant to make a beautiful press kit and do mailings. And so what's happened now is it's just gotten much faster and everything is online and and don't spend as much time doing that. But as far as what the, the formula of what to do, I still, the first thing I say is get organized and write up a press release, write up bios, have a fact sheet. It's basically making an information packet so that then you are prepared to send it to journalists, even use the material on your website. All of that is, it, it, it will help you in, in the future for whatever is to come. So as far as like actually the the procedure, that hasn't changed so much except the physical putting together mailings. And we used to spend a lot of time staying late at the office and doing inv- invites and stuffing envelopes. I don't I don't do that much of that <laughs> anymore. And I don't know if anyone does. The slow mail kind of went away and it just became uh, an online world. I can't remember the last time I got... I actually got into the game just as that was ending. So I think I maybe got 10 physical invites early on in my career, but I have not received anything of heft in a very long time. Yeah, but that was a big thing. And I remember talking to some some writers being, they had so many, they had to keep these press kits. So they had stacks of press kits and materials next to their desk. Like it was just... Yeah. A lot of a lot of a lot of paper. So what uh, after cutting your teeth um, and having your aha mom- moment, what led you to create your own company? What did you feel that you could not do and that you could do on your own under your own uh, manifesto? I think I always wanted to work for myself, and I was driven that way. I, I don't know growing up if I did not know I was going to be- become a publicist. But I, I, my father worked for himself. He's an attorney, and I saw his lifestyle or the way he ran his business, and I admired that, and I thought that would be something I would want to do to have that lifestyle. So, you know, working for myself, it takes a lot of discipline and hard work, but it also brings you a lot of freedom, and you have the freedom to work with the clients you want to work with on the schedule you want. And so that that drew me into to doing my own thing. And I had a lot of jobs before I started my own company in 2003. I moved around a lot. And so when I hit the three-year mark of working for myself, I, w- I figured this was the right fit because it was working. I wasn't looking to do something else. 
Speaking of roster, you've worked with some incredible names. Um, how did you begin to build it? Did you take any clients with you when you started your place? Did you respect respect the kind of unspoken word and start from zero? How did you build it? And then when you mentioned before, like you look for certain things in a, in a client, what is that and how has that changed at all over the years? So after just to to say a little about my, my pathway, after working at KB Network News, I worked at Star Chefs for a bit and then for about a year wearing many hats. And then I went back to freelance PR and then I was another PR firm very short term. I was temporarily laid off because business had been slower. And that was when I decided I was going to pursue clients and work on my own. So the first the first client I got, I had met at the fancy food show and I pitched them and I was going to be going on my own. And it was called a, a, a tea company, Revolution Tea. Uh, I do more restaurant PR now than products, but that was the one that launched me. And I think back then, I, you know, I had my eye open on what was happening in uh, even in reading online about potential restaurants or things opening, maybe sending out emails, pitching, walking down the streets of New York and seeing buildings that, you know, were under construction, maybe peeking my head in and kind of getting a foot in the door. Like I was definitely seeking opportunities uh, for potential clients. I find now because I've been doing this a while and I've been, I, well, I'm a, I'm a huge networker and I think that's how I have met potential clients and met lots of net, net, um, media that now most of my business is coming through referrals and just from knowing people and I don't do as much of the, 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 the cold emails, I guess you'd say. But, and I'm a small business, so I don't need that many clients to keep me busy. So that's kind of how it's, it's changed a little bit. But I definitely did more pitching of myself to get new business at the beginning. And what is it that you look for in a potential client? You, you touched on it a little bit before, but what do they have to have? And, and what disposition do they need to uh, present in order for you to take them on and feel that you can work with them and, and have success? Well, I yeah, I think I have to believe in believe in the concept of brand like them I think being them liking me and me liking them there's we're I'm representing who they are and so I think that's important I think having great food having a great concept and I mean I've worked with so many different styles of restaurants it doesn't necessarily have to be fine dining or fast casual or delivery, because I've worked with all of that. So it's really having an authentic brand, knowing who you are, and then delivering on the quality of the product and the food and the service, and being a good person. <laughs> that's that's really my 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 number one is I want to work with good people. Given the current state of the industry, have you and you don't need to name any names, obviously, but have you thought someone would be a good client kicked the tires a bit and been like actually heard some stories said, you know what we're just going to walk away from this I don't think I can be successful or associated with you yeah certainly or I've certainly haven't taken every client that's come my way I think you you have to be a bit picky and yeah there's I want to work with good people Uh, I think sometimes sometimes people from first impression come across one way then 
than they really are. And um, there's, I have had some tough lessons learned along the way, but generally speaking, I have worked with amazing chefs and restaurants, mostly based in New York. And I, I'm still so driven and passionate about the industry, which because I love what I do and I, I love working with chefs and restaurateurs. We're going to take a quick musical break, play a song from the archives, and we'll be back with more snacky tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Outside of your PR company, you are a fellow Heritage Radio host. Yes, I am. All in the industry, which is coming up on 200 episodes. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. No small feat, my friend. Uh, what, where did the show start and, and how did it evolve? And, and what, from your background of being in PR, did you pull into the interview process of your guests? So the idea for my show came about from... Being in PR, working for myself for, I hit the 10 year mark, so five years ago. And I was sort of looking 
for what's next, not really knowing, not saying I want to stop doing PR or working for myself. So I realized that I knew so many people in the industry from staying with culinary hospitality PR in New York all these years and doing a lot of networking. So the people I knew weren't necessarily clients and they weren't necessarily journalists, but they were people who designed restaurants or did cocktail programs or did other things for restaurants than what I did. So that's how my idea for my show came about all in the industry to talk with people behind the scenes in hospitality about their careers. And, you know, it's been interesting going to the other side. Like now I'm on both sides. So I get, I remember when I got like, I started getting pitched. I was like, this is, this is fun. <laughs> You're like, you know what? Did you ever look at something like, oh man, they have a lot of work to do. Or have you learned anything from people pitching? You're like, I'm going to take that. Um, both. I feel sometimes it's, it's cool to see how a publicist approaches me with their idea for my show or even writes the email or the, the, the style. I've definitely taken tips from that. I've also seen some mistakes that PR people make that we've been criticized for, such as somebody pitched me someone to come on my show that clearly would not make sense. Like they, they didn't do their research. They didn't know what the show was about. Classic mistake. Yeah. Classic mistake. Like, have you ever listened to the show? No. So why do you think they would be a good fit? Because you're around. Next. Yeah. I've also, I've also another one that I like is <laughs> when um, they pitch me someone who's already been on my show. Ooh. But, I mean, I, it can be, it can happen. It could be a newer person with the PR company who's working yeah. with a chef who doesn't know. But then I'll send them the link. I was like, I had them on last year here. Yeah. And then <laughs> they were they, fabulous. Do they respond or is it just radio silence? Once I got a response, then, well, do you want to have them on again? Which I think is, I mean, I think if it's a new project, we've had some repeat guests. We've had repeat bands actually more than repeat chefs. You know, after a decade, people put out new music or they have new projects or someone will show up with another band like, oh, they're on there. But but generally, once they've been on. I'm... There's still so many people I want to interview or that I could have on that I, I am not repeating at this point, but I'm not, I'm not, never say never. One of the interesting things is that you also make it very timely. Um, You have industry gossip or updates. Industry news. Industry news. I'm so sorry. Industry news. (laughs) Uh, Industry news. uh, You also have questions, lightning rounds. How did those develop and and have any of the the answers um, from people surprised you or, or made you go, hmm, I would not expect them to say that. Oh, yes. Often. Yeah, I just... I came up, when I came up with the show, it's a 45-minute show, and I have my little bit. So I I tip it off with the PR tip, which I figure ties into being a publicist. And then we, most of the show is Q&A with the guest. We have my speed round game, the industry news, and then the final question where I tie the series together. The speed round game, which I ask people 10 either or questions so chocolate or vanilla give give us a few oh well give us a few okay yeah so well so i do eat in or eat out eat out wine beer cocktail or mocktail wine although that's recent tasting menu or a la carte a la carte all the way small plates or large plates oh small plates 
communal table or a chef's counter. Can someone say depends? Yes. Yeah, see, this is the thing. Yeah. Date, Some, date night, chef counter. Uh, larger group communal table. See, that's a first. I've done almost 200 episodes and that's a first. Everyone answers, you know, there's some common answers, but some people get stuck and have their own original explanation. And I find it fun and fascinating. I really, you know, it, people feel now that like it's so definitive. Obviously, it's one way or anything, but you know, I'm sure in the people you have, I mean, Tom Clicky, okay, like you just have legends on there that I feel are truly defined by those one word answers or need to have qualifiers or, or have something that's like, well, I mean, it's this, but really it's also this. And I need to make sure that if I'm on the record for this, they're very aware of what they're saying to you. Yes. Yes. And I even, I'm, I'm at a point now it's a speed round and I, it's supposed to go lightning fast, but I like hearing the explanations at the same time. So I, everyone's, everyone is completely different. Has there been you? Has there been any particular answer that is has more consistent of the same answer than not? Well, I think the. I'll tell you something that was interesting. I started my my show in two thousand fourteen, and there's one in the game that I do tipping or all inclusive charge, and it was. Do you want to answer? Uh, jury's out. Okay. Well, it was. It was mostly tipping. My 100th episode I had on Danny Meyer. It's a great episode, by the way. That's, I think, the first I listened to of your show was that one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's I really excellent. So honored to have him on. And before the show, I went back and listened or, or, or tracked the numbers of the tipping and all inclusive. And it was really interesting because after the first 50, I think it was all almost all tipping. And then from 50 to 100, it shifted a bit. And there were some more all-inclusives. And I think now even moving forward, if I go back and track it, there'll be more all-inclusives or people are are torn and can't answer it. Yeah, I would need to like, I need to get a napkin out and write down the numbers and look at the finances and everything. And you mentioned that you have a, a, a question that ties it all together. What is the thinking behind that? And what is the, the question? And how... Well, the question is is show to show, guest to guest. So my my guest, I will ask them to ask me a question for my next week's guest. And I think it's it's been cool because some a lot of people know each other. So I some one guest I can't remember who it was, but they were like, just ask him how he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Why uh, don't you call me anymore? <laughs> but also, I think a lot of people ask really thoughtful questions that are great, and I I like I don't know like tying the series together. It's a it's a hey, what is that the exquisite corpse? It's like that where just you fold the yeah. paper over, you fold the paper, fold the paper over. Uh, has anyone refused to answer a question? No, but maybe they didn't answer it the best way. That, I mean, they answered it the best way they could, but maybe it was indirect. But no, I don't think anyone's asked any questions that are so revealing. Speaking of Danny Meyer, uh, his book, Setting the Table, talked about the, the respecting the solo diner, uh, which for me, who travels a lot for work, I found deeply reassuring. And for those who haven't read it, he talks about having to lie when he was in Europe, either saying he was waiting for a friend or waiting for a date that would, of course, never show up because they wouldn't seat him. Um, you do a lot of solo dining and, and traveling and and you write about it uh, as well. Um, what are some tips or some guides or, or things to think about when people are 
eating by themselves, traveling by themselves that, that make it a more enjoyable experience, uh, less a shameful solo outing of uh, aloneness. Yeah, I'm a big solo diner and travel, and it just sort of happened by circumstance where I was single and I just wanted to go out, and I enjoy it. And also on my show, every week I do a solo dining experience as the other segment. So I I think, you know, people tell me I'm brave for solo dining and travel, and I've never understood that comment because it's really... I'm just going out to eat. I'm just going on, going to see the world. It's not, I don't feel it's being brave, but I feel it's being comfortable and being confident. And it's easy to go into a restaurant and sit at the bar or sit at a chef's counter. There's a lot going on and you'll just blend in and you can maybe make some friends or even have a conversation with a chef cooking in front of you, your chef's counter. That's definitely my favorite place to sit. But nobody... Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. Because I do find that. I've been in fine dining restaurants by myself, and I can see the eyeballs looking at me. Why is that girl by herself? And I, it's none of their business, and I'm having a good old time at my meal. And Do you think this is a gendered thing? I, I, I've eaten alone by myself. I've never felt eyeballs on me. I might also really? be completely oblivious. Do you think it's a male-female dynamic? I don't know. I, I, I've definitely felt it, though. Um, possibly. I, I feel people... I think people think someone dining by themselves, uh, it's a sad thing, generally speaking. And I don't see it as sad at all. I, But I think maybe that's shifting a bit because solo dining or restaurants are getting more accustomed to having solo diners, even like designing restaurants with bigger bar counters to make people feel more comfortable. But I think the general perception of people who've never dined by themselves or gone anywhere by themselves, they, they don't understand it. They think it's it's not a choice, but it's uh, um, just a sad situation. And I, 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 I'm trying to get rid of that whole perception. The last tasting menu I had was at Oriole in Chicago when I was out there for, for work. And I went by myself and I brought my book to the table. They didn't say anything. No one even gave me a funny look. And, and I looked up and then there was a woman right across the restaurant by herself as well, also reading. And I was like, this is great. You know, this is an amazing experience. You're still going to top high-end fine dining restaurants, but they're just letting you be comfortable and, and kind of go at your own speed. Yes. I guess I was referring a little to more customers than staff. Oh. Oh, the customers are judging. Yes. That is wild to me. Why would they, I mean, who would even care, let alone, you know, look up from their conversation or their phone to, to judge a solo dining experience with zero information? It's just the feeling I've gotten. And I've, and I find though, tasting menus and, and fine dining restaurants, I love dining at them by myself because there's so much happening. You're getting a 10 course tasting menu, there's food coming. You can, you can really focus on the food and the experience. And I've also been at restaurants. I was at the French Laundry, and halfway through the meal, they came out and asked me if I wanted. They brought their magazine. Do you want something to read? Like sometimes they are, they're like you know looking out to try to make your experience, you know, or make you feel more comfortable. But no, I haven't found staff to be 
maybe sometimes walking into a restaurant being just one, it's changed a bit. But I think I used to get the impression that people were sort of surprised I was by myself. So maybe it is a gender thing. I don't know. People, stop judging. <laughs> well, Sherry, I want to thank you for coming on today. Congratulations on 15 years. Uh, where can people track you down? How can people listen to your podcast? Thank you so much for having me. So my show is all in the industry. It's also on Heritage Radio Network, so you can find me there. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. And on social, I'm at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. Amazing. We're going to take a quick musical break from the archives, and then we'll be back with Power Snap live in studio here on Snacky Tunes. program is brought to you by Jules Sous-Vide. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Jewel user. When you cook with Jewel, there's zero guesswork, so steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Paired app is intuitive to use and preloaded with all the recipes you'll need, and it has a great visual doneness guide. Jewel is awesome for holiday cooking. 
It's easy to cook for a crowd, and it's perfectly precise, so you can focus on entertaining without worrying about checking food temps, while Jewel does all the work. You can try out new cuts fearlessly. One of the best things I ever made sous vide was a juicy, tender heritage goose with juniper berries, and it was life-changing. And pro tip, Jewel is small and packs easily, so you can sneak it along on your holiday travels to be this season's food hero everywhere you go. With Jewel, you get perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code HRN. And happy holidays from all of us at Team HRN. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Power Snap Live in studio. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Hi Paul. You're going to have to shout since you're all back all there. Right. Hi. <laughs> Paul on drums. Romy. On guitar. And vocals? Or both vocals? Yeah, she's like the lead vocals. Okay. And I'm doing some background things. I'm Noga. Noga. Um, so you're from Tel Aviv? Or two of you are from Tel Aviv? Oui. I'm uh, from actually Ramat Gan. It's like a city next to Tel Aviv. Fair enough. How far out? Like 10 minutes drive. Give it respect. <laughs> Give it respect. Walking? Uh, walking, it's like, depends 40. to which part. But you, it's walk, like, you walked it yeah, a few times. Yeah, it could times. be like a 40 minute, an hour maybe. Okay. Um, growing up, what was the rock scene like in Tel Aviv? And what were your influences? S- small. Rock scene is small. <laughs> um, Noga barely knows any Israeli music. <laughs> because my parents. But no, I do know, like, but just... From the but, 60s. <laughs> it, yeah, Israeli old. music in what sense? Like... Traditional Israeli music, like contemporary pop Israeli music, or oh, that's like neither of us. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe a little bit. There's, uh, there's not a lot to talk about with uh, contemporary Israeli music. I think. <laughs> um, and so, uh, growing up, uh, how did you get into this? Or what were your influences, or, or where from around the world influenced the the music that you play and got into? Well, me, Romy, my dad is a musician. What does he play? He plays guitar and sings. Okay. What type of music? Rock. Okay. <laughs> I can, primary so, source. Yeah. <laughs> and Noga's dad is a musician too. Yeah. He plays bass and guitar and he plays like rock and blues and stuff And like were that. they in, did they do their original music, cover bands? What type of, where did they play around town? My, my dad had and still has a long career of like his songs and music. What is it? Does he perform in his name or what is it? A band or? No, his name is Shalom Hanoch. And what is his, and he plays around Israel or what is his reception and audience? He, he plays a lot in Israel. He comes, he, he tours um, the US every like couple of years. He's like a very big name. So he's like one of the reasons it was hard for me to like stay in that small little country because there was because there was like there was no way it wasn't gonna be like a daughter of exactly (laughs) so uh how how did how did he influence you and then how were you able to kind of define your own voice away from dad in the in the early days well i i just grew up around music and then i went to um like an art high school to the jazz department where i met nogi friends from high school <laughs> and I since I was 12 and got to know Green Day I wanted to start a band and move to the US so when I met Nogi she was a pianist and um, and one day I got her to play bass and then I was like hey we should do a band together 
<laughs> Did you make a playlist since the rock scene was small? I, I mean, normally in the in the states, you'd be like, we want to be like, and then you list, you know, the wide diverse range of influences that you could have from anywhere in the states. Where were you pulling from, and when you, you know, when you say rock music, who, you know, who did you give as, you know, you used to have flyers like, in the city, if you play this and these are your influences, we're looking for a bass player. Did you make a playlist? Did you, did you like pass her some vinyl, some mixtapes, some to pop? her? Yeah. Um, no, because she loves the Beatles, and that's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, what were your early uh, shows like before you? Came, how long were you in a band, and was it always Power Snap? And then you came here, or did were you a different band? And then when you moved here, you reformed as Power Snap. So it started just from the both of us. We were playing like bass and guitar, like small at cafes, yeah. in Tel Aviv. Yeah. In Tel Aviv, when we started, when we were like sixteen or seventeen, mm-hmm. and then 16. sixteen, right? And then what happened? I don't remember. We met like a couple, your cousin and, and then, his friend. No, and then I, I was like, okay, I'm moving to New York, but I want to record some of my original songs. So when I moved to New York and try to find a band. Um, people know what, like what my style is. So mm-hmm. I, and that was when you were like 17 or 16. Seven. Never mind. When Something you like were that. like younger and than today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, earlier than today. Yeah, earlier yeah. than today. And then I took Noga and I took my nephew, who's almost my age, and a couple of his friends. And we recorded like three songs. And then I got here and I was like, wait, I have a band in Israel, so I'm going to go back <laughs> <laughs> so did you go back and drag Nega by the hair or get on your knees and beg her to come or how did you end up no I was like yeah I'm totally down to like try to move to a different country it took a few years though because I came back when I was like 17 yeah I, I wasn't moved. ready to move yeah, you I, was, ready. I wanted to do like other stuff and then she met her bit. boyfriend who's also a musician and then his bandmates from Israel moved to New York Easy and then decision. he wanted, so he wanted to too. No, it started from me. Started I was like, me. yeah, like, but I'm, I mean, it started from me. It started from you, <laughs> and then it was me, and then I talked to him about it, and then it's. I think it's boring. <laughs> I think it's good though, just because um, you know you just came with a couple of guitars, bass, and a dream. And, and what was it about hearing Green Day and being at the age of twelve? Like, I wa- like, why did you want to come and make and release music in the states? <sighs> what, what, what was the appeal? I don't even know. I just remember seeing American Idiot, and I was like, what is this? I want it, and also to be it. And just something spoke to you about it. There was no, no something Some, indefinable? Something, it felt like very rebellious and very, like, like, very emotional, even though it's, like, so angsty, you know? Like, very... Yeah, it's and it's angsty, and I was like a angsty teen. Angsty teen, exactly. And given the you know, the two different cities that you've existed in, Tel Aviv and and New York, what what would you say are, are some of the the differences in people's reception to having the dream of being a musician, or the opportunities, or the availability, or New York versus Tel Aviv, and being like, I'm a musician, I want to be a, a rock and roller. How how is it received? Well, personally, I. Um, I do feel some kind of like wearing out here, like, like, be like getting worn out because there's so much music and so many people, even though in Israel, like in Tel Aviv, also every single person I know is an artist, mm. but here, yeah, like all the music, it's kind of like too much sometimes, but, but also I found here 
a community that really, like, when I fall, they lift me up. And I have Nogi and I have Paul, and we're together, you know. We help each other out. And that's something that was harder in Tel Aviv for some reason. Can we hear a song? Yeah. What are you going to play for us first? Uh, so this is actually a song that started... Um, our, we had so we did have a band in Israel and we used to call it bar vase like a bar and a vase but it's actually a mutation of the word uh, barvaz which means duck in Hebrew and I really like ducks as you just waved your duck tattoo at me yes yeah, so this is the radio so it's good that you explained that <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> so here we go power snap live on snacky tunes yes what the
You mentioned finding community here. I'm guessing it's the King Pizza world. Yes. Uh, who's been so great to us and has sent us so many, 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 many wonderful bands. We love them. Yeah, we love them too. How did you find them and what spoke to them that pulled you in and made you feel safe, secure, warm, loved? So this is actually a really funny story. Now, it's even funnier. Because, so I moved here. We moved here together. What year was that? Uh, October 2016. Okay. We moved just for the winter. Like, just for, like, the roughest time of the year. Just in time. And, um... And we, I was going, like, trying to go to a lot of shows by myself, which I've never done before in Israel. But here I didn't know anyone. And Nogi was busy with her boyfriend. So, and with, like, hating winter. <laughs> so I went I went to shows, like, Googled, found Oh My Rockness, went to shows, blah, 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 Alphaville, all those places. Then one day, I saw there was this band called Ghost King. They were playing at Alphaville. I went to see them, and Nogi joined me for, like, the first time. And I loved them, and after the show, I was coming up to the lead singer to, to tell him that I loved the show, and this other guy came up to him first, this bearded guy, who was asking the lead singer about booking a show, booking his band somewhere. And I heard, it was, like, right when, like, a month after we started Power Snap, before... Paul, Paul, Paul is like, we had a, one drummer before him who was Israeli, and then we were like, no, we need a local. <laughs> Jersey boy. A Jersey boy. Joyzy. Anyway, so I, I um, later on spoke to that bearded guy whose name is Greg. And I was like, hey, I have a show. Um, yeah, book me. <laughs> I banned, I mean, I was very nervous. <laughs> that was the first time I saw Greg. Um, and I heard about this, um, the Mad Doctors, this band, and they were having their, um, vinyl release a month later. So I went to that, and that was one of the most amazing shows I've been at in New York and ever. It was the first mosh pit I've been in, in the city, and everything was just so, like, loving and beautiful, and all the bands were amazing. And what's so funny about it, not only that we're in the King Pizza family now, is that Nogi plays bass for Ghost King. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. And then some. And then some. Can we hear another song? Sure. What are you going to play for us? Um, we're going to play our song, Chemistry, from, for, for, from our EP that we released uh, via King Pizza in the summer the the EP is named The Latency and you can still get um, cassettes if you are cool and if, have a cassette player if you so desire before you play uh, the video is very good have you seen it? yes I've Yay! seen it uh, and I, we encourage everyone to check it out um, who directed it and what was the the idea behind it and who are all the people that are in it there's so, more than three of you <laughs> right Paul oh, wasn't there was <laughs> because of his time but <laughs> by the time that we released the video Paul was already the drummer, so Great. that was kind of funny. <laughs> Throwing his stick in the air in triumph. Um, directed and shot and edited it. Edited it. Was, uh, are, were, Gal Shaya and Efrat Kariv, two of our d- very dear Israeli friends. 
and um, a couple other or three other of our friends um, were in it as my obstacles to get into the thing that I desire that in the end is my demise. I mean, well said. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's hear the song. Um, yeah, okay. EP came out earlier this year. Delatency? Delatency. Delatency. Like delay and latency. Delay, a, a new word. Yes. A new word. Uh, where did Greg, he- our, our, our friend from King Pizza, <laughs> was like, before we released it, he was like, just, just making sure. You know it's not a real word, right? right. They're like it's not like some like Israeli translation where like uh, no no we're pretty sure it's a word or or it's like is this an Israeli word that we don't is this some Hebrew that we don't know it's like no it's just a made up word no where does it come from um, delay and latency because you know just everything's like always late you know like this EP took like two years to make like the, those three and a half songs I felt like we moved here a little too late um, uh, we were always late when we like scheduled stuff with Paul um, 
when we recorded the album, there was a lot of latency issues that we needed to to solve. You said three and a half songs? Yeah. What's the half song? Miscellaneous. (laughs) How is the song a half song? Um, Well, I encourage you. What? It's like a mashup. It's like, yeah, it's like a medley. Okay. Of like weird demo thingies with some like skit bits. And uh, yeah, I highly... We're on Spotify, actually, as of, like, yesterday or something. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) And, uh, yeah, please uh, go listen to The Latency and uh, tell us what you think about Miscellaneous. Was it stupid? Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. Probably not. If you could message back to 12-year-old you who was into American Idiot and just had a dream of releasing music in the States, now that you've done it, what would you say to her, and how do you feel about her currently? Oh my god, I actually had a talk with her, like, <laughs> like a few weeks before my 24th birthday. Um, and it was very, it was very emotional. It Set was this, very nice. Tell us. Set the stage for us. Um, I got super stoned, and like, I looked in my eyes, I looked in the mirror, and the eyes there were looking, it was like my image, but the eyes there were looking back was me when I'm like 14, like 10 years ago. Um, and I was like, look, look where you, look where I am, look where you are. And she was like, oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then how does 24 year old you feel about it now that you've done it? This disregarding the fact that you moved here too late and everything's late. Currently yeah, I'm, in the still, I'm still not satisfied. Still not satisfied. Why is that? Because cause I want us to play in front of like 5,000 people, not 15 people. <laughs> <laughs> so come to our shows. Help, help us. Help us. <laughs> I want to make sure we have time for one more song, but you're already on Spotify, but where can people find you, follow you? come to your shows get yes. all the information um when is this thing gonna be on tomorrow awesome so come to our show in a few days in um uh on the 29th at our wicked lady it's thursdays for the cause which means that all proceeds from the door and 10 percent of proceeds from the bar goes to um, each month they pick a different charity. This month it's for this um, union to help uh, voting rights, something. So that that is cool. That is good. You should come. There's going to be special guests, maybe. And then also we're playing a show on December 9th with our dear, dear friends, Top Nachos, the band with the coolest name in the world. Great name. And... Um, yeah, we're on Spotify and, and stuff now, and probably Apple Music, hopefully, I don't know. I'll, I'll check. <laughs> you can buy our album on Bandcamp. You can buy the cassette on Bandcamp, too. And if you want a sick, super, super, duper soft t-shirt with, like, double-sided one with stuff on the back and on the front. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. All sizes, either blue or white, come to one of our shows, or, like, private messages or something like that perfect well we want to thank uh, Sherry Bear for coming on and congratulations on your 15 year anniversary power snap thank you so much for coming by thank you Greg 
Uh, we will be back next week with an all new episode of Snacky Tunes. What are you going to take us out with? Pusher. 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 Thanks for listening. See you next week. One, two, three, four. How much do I have to push you? How much do I have to clean up? Or in their mind, be your man. Or to take arms against the careless way of thought. Hey now, hey now, hey now. Three Party time. Monday, December 3rd is Winter in the Garden, Heritage Radio Network's second annual year-end gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe. Join HRN staff, hosts, members, and some very talented chefs and bartenders for a delicious evening that will kick off the holiday season and support our end-of-year fundraising drive. The evening will begin with a VIP hour, complete with bubbles and oysters. Then, all of our guests will work their way around two spacious rooms filled with food stations and bars, sampling fare from some of our favorite chefs. Sip on your choice of cocktails, beer, wine, sake, and cider, while bidding on exclusive silent auction items. 2019 is our 10th anniversary. So, whether you've been a member since Roberta's first opened, 
or if you just discovered your new favorite food podcast, please consider supporting us with a ticket purchase so we can start the year on solid ground. We'd love to see you at the garden. So join us on December 3rd. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.